Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Friends, welcome back to another incredible episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. And you know, I want to just remind you that although we're talking a lot about crypto and investment and money stuff, The New Wave isn't just about money. It's about how you're carrying yourself in the world. Entrepreneurs specifically have the ability to change their trajectories through sheer through sheer thought, and those thoughts become intentions, those intentions become actions, and the actions you take as an entrepreneur uh, really affect the world with a crazy powerful vibration that can change the life of not only yourself and your family, but those around you, your community, and ultimately, you know, the world. So I wanted to just remind you that the new wave is about more than just money, and although we're talking a lot about crypto, I want to zoom out and talk philosophy uh, as deeply as I do about some of the more tactical, earthy things like, like the money game. But before we get into that today, in today's episode, I want to remind you that there's a whole new New Wave experience that you should be taking a part of. If you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com, you'll see a very simple one-page website, and that's where you're going to have all access to everything that I've been putting out. There are about five or six links on that page, and from that page at newwaveentrepreneur.com, you can visit everywhere that this content is being distributed, especially my Substack. okay? The Substack is the blog, and it's the place where all these podcasts will be housed. It's where they'll live. But it's also the place where premium content's going to be produced. So I'm putting together multiple different courses, full-length courses to teach you things from, from investing to personal sovereignty to psychedelics and more, and also philosophy. I'm putting together behind-the-scenes content, unlisted podcasts, exclusive drops on merch, and many other premium things that are just for members of the premium community on Substack. I'm also opening up a private Discord for you and I to communicate on a regular basis only for premium members. So if you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com, click on the very first link on that website, you'll be taken to the Substack. And of course, you can listen to all these podcasts for free, but I also have tons of new behind the scenes stuff for premium members. You can subscribe as a premium member on any blog post on that on that Substack or just anywhere on the Substack. You can go see where that is. It's very easy to find. And that's the context I also want to bring into this is that we go deeper on this. So that is today's introduction. Now, let's get to the show. Okay, welcome back, my friends. As I mentioned today, I wanted to dive into something that is equally as important as all the stuff we've been putting out about crypto. And really, it's something that is broad because it's about principles for dealing with life. Recently, I was reading one of uh, Ray Dalio's new books, or I guess his his most recent new book. It's called Principles for Dealing with the Changing World Order. He also has another book uh, that was a few years ago called Principles, Life and Work. And Dalio is an interesting character because he breaks everything down into fundamental first concepts or first principles where he says he looks at the the issues that he encounters he tries to understand the solution based on the the information that he has available to him he makes decisions and then he adjusts 
uh, his his method based on the results and the feedback he gets from the world. He's very data driven, and I think that's a that's an interesting way to live, and it's probably a very effective way to live. It certainly has been for him, and I can say that in my own life, the best decisions I've made have come after some of the worst decisions I've made, because you really only can make great decisions once you've seen what the opposite of a great decision is. Oftentimes, the best way to make good decisions is to is to not just learn from your own mistakes, which is powerful yet painful. However, you can also learn from the mistakes of others and avoid those things before they happen to you. And so today I wanted to share some of my principles with you in hopes that you would also uh, gain something from my losses, gain something from the times that I've had to uh, kind of eat one, kind of take, take one for the team. And you know, I wanted to share with you my 11 life principles that I learned by fucking them up first, because you certainly learn well when you're in pain. Pain is an indicator for growth. It's a signal for evolution. Just like the pain of your muscles signals the growth of new muscle after that. The pain learned from mistakes signifies the opportunity to grow if the lessons are absorbed. And your principles are custom made for your unique life. They may even sound strange to someone else, and that's good. They're only for you, my friends. Your principles should not dictate what you should do in any particular situation. They should be guideposts for who you would like to be at any given time. And actually, last night, I sat down to write out my own principles. And I came up with these because they're the antidote to my biggest problems and my biggest struggles in life. And so I would ask you, you know, what guiding principles would you make for yourself? And my suggestion would be that after listening to mine, you take a minimum of 20 to 30 minutes tonight with your favorite hot beverage. You sit down with a pen and a pad, you turn off and tuck away any electronics and you write them out thoughtfully. And then, and of course, it's the important part, you begin to live them. And you'll see what it feels like to sculpt the magnificent shape of your life action by action through your intentions. So let's talk about my 11 life principles that I learned by fucking them up first. The first one I have here is don't lie. Don't lie to myself or others. Don't omit things to save somebody's feelings if the truth is at stake. This is so important for for just being able to sleep at night. And I, I, I believe that lying is something that can come in a big or small package. You know, you can uh, lie in your relationship. For instance, I've lied in my relationship where I haven't uh, been faithful and I haven't agreed or I, have, I haven't uh, stuck to my agreements in the relationship. And those are very, very painful lies because you have to hold on to those and eat those. And you have to, you have to feel that kind of cancerous uh, mistruth every time you're with your partner and it feels bad and you can feel it corroding you. That's a corrosive lie. And then you have little lies, which you save, which you use to save face. Oh, you know, um, sorry, I'm late. I had to, you know, I had, I had something at work come up when you didn't really have something at work come up or saying that you would like to get on the phone with someone when really you don't want to talk to them. You know, these are small little lies that add up over time. And then you have the lies that you tell to yourself, like, uh, lies that you're, for instance, I'm going to lose weight this year. I'm going to start uh, investing my money more wisely. I'm going to go back to school. These are lies we tell ourselves, you know, and then there are things like omissions, you know, where you aren't necessarily overtly lying, but you're just not telling the whole truth. So uh, if somebody 
uh, like a friend of yours says something behind your back, or I guess if you're talking with mutual friends and someone says something behind another person's back, that's potentially damaging. And you knowing that that could be a problem, omitting that the next time you see the friend. These are things where you have to make judgment calls, but overall have the potential to damage your internal sense of well-being. I've been in all of these situations where I've lied to others, I've lied to myself, I've omitted things. The truth is the most, it's the purest form of communication because just like the blockchain, <laughs> you know, it's trustless. You know, if you're truly, if you're actually telling the truth, you don't have to defend yourself because the truth speaks for itself. The problem is that the truth is not comfortable not always convenient. Al Gore wrote The Inconvenient Truth. And it's not always, it's not always well packaged. And so oftentimes we will try to manage other people's emotions by lying to them because we are afraid of what their reaction will be. Have you ever tried to manage someone else's emotions by changing what you're telling them in order to get a certain response from them? Well, that's lying. That's omitting. That's trying to manipulate, essentially. And it's it's a way of living that you can do your entire life, but eventually you'll feel that there's a lack of alignment. Or even if you don't necessarily sense that lack of alignment, you'll feel that the outcomes in your life don't go as you'd hoped oftentimes. And this isn't necessarily always from one individual lie that you've told. It's a culture within yourself that you've created by saying it's okay to lie. And I am certainly not saying that I'm perfect or that I never lie or never lie again, but man, I do make an effort to just tell it how it is. Just tell it how it is. There are obviously um, situations where in very sensitive situations, you might find that it is the best, it is the best option to tell a lie. And so I'm not saying that things are black and white, um, but I am saying that the majority of the time when you think that the lie is the most appropriate response, usually you're only doing that because you don't want to deal with the fallout or you don't want to deal with the real implications of the truth. And that over time is quite deleterious. So don't lie to myself or to others. Don't omit things to save someone's feelings if the truth is at stake because the truth is the most pure form of communication you can have with yourself and others. That's principle number one. Principle number two, stick to the plan, but don't fear flexibility in how the outcome presents itself. So this is so important, especially for entrepreneurs. We have this, uh, this ironclad devotion to the plan. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. And the plan is very important. We have to have plans in order to do things uh, that will lead to the outcome that we're envisioning. Entrepreneurs especially are ambitious, we're driven, we're goal-oriented, we're focused. And this is a great way to live as someone who wants to accomplish things in the world. Now, the issue with this is that sometimes we get so wrapped up in our plans that we don't see one when there are potentially beneficial outcomes for us in other areas. Uh, and so maybe it's time to actually change plans. Or two, we have a plan that's ironclad and we were so devoted to that plan that we, we don't recognize a good outcome when we see it, even if, you know, even if the every, even if, even if things went to plan or even if things didn't go according to plan, sometimes we might actually get a good outcome, but we're so obsessed with getting a specific outcome 
that we don't have any flexibility. And oftentimes in business, especially, you'll create a plan and God laughs. The business God laughs. This has happened to me multiple times over the years with different things that I've started. You know, I came out with an idea and it didn't work, but then from the seeds of that idea, something else came or a key relationship came or I was introduced to some a new concept that would have only been possible through the failure of the first, you know, the first idea. And sometimes sticking to the plan means understanding when the plan is presenting new information for us to act on. And we have to find the balance between sticking to the plan and also knowing that there is no script for all this stuff. There are only reactions to data that we're getting in, as Dalio would would probably agree. There's only um, adjustments that we can make based on the information that we have. And oftentimes a plan is made before information has been gathered. So you'll create a plan for something like a play in football or basketball, and you have an idea of where the ball should go. But guess what? The other team gets a move too. And the other team makes their move, and then you have to adjust your plan. And the outcome after you adjust might not be the same as the outcome before changes had been made. And so you have to know when it's okay to have flexibility in the outcome and flexibility in the plan in order to continue to create the outcome that you want. So stick to the plan, but don't fear flexibility in how the outcome presents itself because it might not always look at the end like you thought it would look. And oftentimes it'll look better. But if you're very, very convinced that it should look a certain way, you won't even recognize it. So rather than saying, I want this or nothing, I want this outcome or nothing, say I want this outcome or better, you know? And sometimes better is different. So consider that. That's the second principle. Third principle that I wrote down. I'll focus my energy on things that build me, not drain me. Now this is important and this applies to people as well. This is a pretty simple one. When you're investing in yourself, the ROI is quite high. When you're investing all your energy outside yourself, of course, you're going to need to invest your energy outside yourself and in some things and people as well. But oftentimes, you don't leave enough for you. And this applies in a strange way to the things that are the most beneficial to us. And this is something to note. So for instance, when I train jujitsu, oftentimes, I don't feel like training. I don't feel like going. Why? Because it's hard. Because it's so challenging. And I just have to, I have to sweat and grunt and grind and choke and get choked and get pushed and punched and moved and you know, and then at the end of the class, oftentimes I just feel like I got hammered and you don't always feel like you're getting better. You don't feel like you're improving. But the interesting thing about that is that sometimes the things that are the most tiring give you the most actual energy. So when you do things that are for your highest good and actually build you, even if they're tiring, they fill you. Okay. But then flip it towards this, flip it to the other side. Sometimes the things that you think are going to be the most exciting, the things that you think are going to be the most fun. So for instance, going to parties, going out to, you know, drink, just getting crazy, or the things that you think are going to be, you think that the things that you think are going to be socially acceptable for you, that you think you should be focusing on are actually the things that drain you. You know, the workaholism that you think is going to help build you up actually drains you. And so Remember that contrast of focusing on the things that actually build you, not the things that you're trying to use to impress other people, not the things that, that are, are silently sapping your energy. Focus on the things that are actually building up your confidence, your self-esteem, 
your physical, mental, intellectual, and spiritual gifts. And those things aren't always the easy things, but they are the things that lead to a robust life. Focus your energy on those things and those people, not the things that only detract. And you'll be left with a life full of activities and opportunities that are consistently working together to build you into the best version of yourself rather than reduce you to a shell of your capabilities. So, number three is I focus my energy on things that build me, not drain me. Number four, balance over workaholism. What do I mean by this, my friends? Well, I have to tell you something. I learned uh, about this about myself long ago that I most likely am never going to be a billionaire. And that's unfortunate. But what I've learned is that there's a certain type of lifestyle that you have to have to be the most successful you can be in a capitalistic society. And capitalism is based on productivity and output. You know, unless we're talking about landed gentry and old money that has been previously accumulated by someone's forefathers or foremothers or some sort of royalty status that has been gained through plunder decades and centuries ago, in the modern capitalistic society, your ability to gain wealth is primarily through effort and lots of it. And the more effort you put in, it's not always a direct correlation, but if you look at the top, the billionaires of the world, they have to live a certain way in order to create that that lifestyle, that state of living. Go ahead and watch Succession on HBO, a fantastic show on HBO, and you'll realize, you know, those guys, they are living at a level where it is constantly and only and specifically about work. And that's workaholism. And that is a way to live. It's it's something, you know, but for me, it doesn't come close to the, the feeling of having a good balanced life. Now, let's be clear here. You can be incredibly successful and still be balanced. The difference is knowing where your boundaries are. The difference is knowing when it's time to shift gears and shift modalities from just talking and thinking about work and things that are bringing in money to thinking about things that can't be quantified. So for instance, your relationships can't be quantified. You can't put a dollar amount on your relationship with your spouse. You can't put a dollar amount on time with your parents or with your children. You can't put a dollar amount on relaxing, (laughs) really. I mean, you could take a dollar per hour amount, but it wouldn't really equate to the true value of recovering from workaholism or recovering from a hard week. So you have to think about that nice that nice dichotomy there because oftentimes as members of this capitalistic society, everything is related to how much money it's worth and our time is the biggest thing that we value. But some things can't be valued in dollars. And those are the things that need to be brought into balance when we think about what's important in our lives. And in the entrepreneur culture, especially on social media, workaholism slash hustle as seen as the gold standard of behavior to model. And I don't agree with that. I believe that there is and can be a strong balance between work and life and that they do intersect and work and play do intersect, but that we also have to have some sort of off switch. And some people don't want that off switch, you know, and that would be okay. And there are also certain periods of your life where you go through periods that aren't balanced and that's okay too. But on the whole, I favor balance. You know, when I look at guys like Gary Vee and I, I say, well, he's very, very successful. It seems like um, it seems like he's really enjoying his life. So for that, I can't knock it because at the end of the day, the whole idea is to enjoy your life. 
And who am I to judge what level of enjoyment he has? I, I just don't know. But I will say this. I know he schedules his meetings in five-minute increments. I know that he is always constantly traveling. I know that he is constantly on social media. And hey, I'm on social quite a lot too. But I know he's constantly in front of a screen, constantly doing something. I also know that he has a family and kids. And I, I don't know how he spends his time really. I, I just have no insight into that. But I would imagine that he doesn't spend a lot of time with his family. That would just be what I imagine. I could be completely wrong. I don't see them in much of his content. It doesn't mean they're not there, but the math says if you're always on camera and your family's not there, then you're not spending that much time with them. Again, that could be untrue. Same thing with Tony Robbins. You know, uh, years ago, I talked to uh, his son, Jarek, and Jarek told me that uh, one of his greatest memories with Tony was was going uh, to uh, a, a gorilla reserve in Africa, Silverback Gorilla Reserve, and that he spent a few days with his dad in this this reserve. And it was a beautiful experience. But that when he was a kid, he didn't see his dad that much because his dad was you know, traveling 320 days of the year. And um, I know that he lived mostly with his mom growing up. And it's interesting because you would look at Tony and say, well, Tony is you know, so successful, so killing it, so heart-centered, so, um, you know, so on top of it. And I, I have uh, no doubt that I'm sure he's a, a great man and uh, sure he's a good father. But can you really have it all? Can you really have both? Can you truly be a present parent, a present spouse, a present friend if you are a workaholic? Maybe. But I, I, I think that those things are just as important as your ability to make money and just as important as your ability to progress in your career and play the capitalism game, but they're not quantifiable with dollars and we shouldn't forget those things. So that's my thought. Balance over workaholism. That's principle number four. Principle number five, maintain a soft, open heart and loving demeanor even when I'm hurt. This can be a hard one. It can be a real hard one because, you know, when I'm hurt, I want to shut down. When I'm hurt, I want to, I want to close off. This can happen a lot with parents. You know, parents will do things that hurt our feelings. You know, recently I was having a kind of a tough time with my dad. We were just arguing over something. And, you know, I, I was not happy with how he was acting. Well, I told him as much, but at the same time, I didn't completely shut down my communication with him. Um, I've had times with my mom where it's been the same way. And I still told him, you know, I, I obviously love you, but this is uh, what's making me unhappy. This is where I'm at. And I've had the same thing with my family, my friends, um, you know, my wife, I get hurt, something happens. And my approach is to not completely shut down because when you shut down, you, you narrow your possibilities down to well, down to one, which is the possibility of zero. <laughs> so you narrow your you basically eliminate possibility. And possibility, I found for me, is the greatest, it's the greatest way to initiate change. Because for there to be a change, there has to be at least the possibility of it first. If there's no possibility, there's no, there's no opportunity, you know? And so I, I like to keep possibility open at all times. It's easy to freeze people out. That's actually the easy thing. And sometimes the first thing that we reach to is the easy thing. And we reach for that high road of shutting someone out of blocking them, just grudging, just holding a grudge. And I'm not perfect on this at all. There have been people who I blocked out, people who I felt like disrespected me, and they're still blocked on social media. And so 
I'm not perfect at it, but I found that over the years, the more that I keep an open demeanor and a soft heart rather than a hard, rigid stance on things, the easier it is for me to deal with it. Because the harder it is from the harder I feel, the less freedom I feel, right? So for instance, I was watching the movie Home Alone the other day, and uh, there's this old man in the Home Alone, the, the first Home Alone, who saves Kevin at the end of the movie. And uh, right before that scene, there's a scene in the church with Kevin and the old man. And he says, um, basically, he's talking about uh, an issue that he's having with his son. And Kevin says, well, what happened with your son? And he says, well, him and I had an argument many years ago, and we both said some things that we regretted. And I told him that I didn't care to see him anymore. And he said the same. And um, Kevin says, well, why don't you just call him? And the old man says, well, I'm afraid that if I call him, he won't pick up and I'll be hurt. And Kevin says, I don't mean to be rude, but aren't you a little bit old to be afraid? (laughs) And the old man says, oh, I don't think you're ever too old to be afraid. And I think fear is really what causes us to close up because we're afraid of being hurt more. But really the closing up, only it's only a band-aid on the wound. It doesn't heal the wound. It only puts a band-aid on it. And the only way to heal it is to feel it, as they say. And you can only feel it if you're open to it. So the only way to truly heal something is by being open. And sometimes people do need to be shut out. There's absolutely an opportunity or or there's absolutely uh, many times when people just are toxic to you and they shouldn't be part of your life. But for those who you do still value and you do realize you want to be you know, involved with them and they should be a part of your life. Well, then you have to remain open to that possibility. So maintain a soft heart and loving demeanor, even when I'm hurt. Principle number six is that I do whatever the hard thing is. What do I mean by that? Let me, let me raise my desk a minute here. Let me hear that. I got my automated desk. So principle number six, do whatever the hard thing is. Guys, 90% of your problems can be solved by doing whatever you think the hard thing is. And the hard thing is the thing that you know you should be doing, but you don't want to do because it's going to cause you discomfort. I talked earlier about my experience in jujitsu and how I often don't want to go, but I know that it's for my greater good. And sometimes we really have to, we have to manually override our brains and we have to say, this isn't about what you want. It's about what you need. This isn't about how you're feeling in the moment. It's about the intentions that you've created for yourself. And you have to be able to be a parent to yourself and you have to be able to think one level up from your mind and tap into your purpose and your purpose will often have you do things that are hard and those things that are hard in the moment will feel out of alignment even though they are absolutely in alignment i I can tell you for sure especially just as the seasons change in oregon it's rainy it's cold and it gets dark at 3 45 p.m it really eliminates my urge to go do hard physical things outside or at the gym or at jujitsu i can tell you that for sure it just really makes me want to sit down eat and sleep Same thing with business, not wanting to do the hard thing, even though we know that it's really the thing we should be doing. How about this? How about with difficult conversations in life? Usually those are the hard thing. It's easier to neglect difficult conversations because you don't have to open yourself up as we were talking about in the previous principle. You don't have to expose yourself. You don't have to be open to critical feedback, but really the hard thing is what you need to lean into. Ben Horowitz wrote that book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And hard things are hard. That's the whole point. You're not going to ever have an easy hard thing. But just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. And typically speaking, all the things that have the most value are going to be challenges. I mean, over time, obviously, you don't always want to be purposely grinding yourself 
There's a difference between doing the hard thing and purposely being hard on yourself. So let's be clear there. And the difference really is that the hard thing is really the thing that's going to challenge you to grow. Being hard on yourself is just not giving yourself freedom and flexibility when it's needed. So for instance, today I had a podcast scheduled with a friend. We had some things come up, uh, some tech challenges and some schedule challenges, and we didn't force it. We said, all right, we'll get it on Monday. Could we have forced it today? Possibly. But that would have been being a little bit too hard on ourselves. Had to have had a long week, have a lot to do. I'm getting ready to leave for LA today. So there's a lot, a lot to work on. So do whatever the hard thing is. That's where you'll find success. We are going to get right back to the episode, but first I want to tell you two things. Well, one, I'm so grateful that you're here. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to me and to have me share some of my opinions and my thoughts with you. And the second thing is, if you are listening to this episode and you're digging what we are putting down, if you are into the new wave, if you want to learn about how you too can be a part of this new transition in technology, this new transition in economy, and be a part of everything that's happening, I highly encourage you to check out the New Wave Workshop. This is a live workshop I'm hosting via Zoom, December 17th and 18th, with me and a bunch of other really smart friends who are going to break down everything you need to know about blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, Web3, the metaverse, and everything in between. This is a fantastic primer that will allow you to understand what's going on so that you can participate in this transition rather than just sitting back and being a consumer. This is your opportunity to really understand what's happening so that you too can take advantage of this time, so that you can learn to invest, so that you can understand where the scams are and avoid them, and so that you can come out on top. This is a great opportunity for you to be part of the new wave. So if you want to learn more about this workshop and how you can get involved, you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com forward slash workshop. That's where all the info will be. And of course, we'll put this in the show notes as well. So thank you for listening. And now back to the episode. Principle number seven is I set clear boundaries for how I'm willing to be treated and I respect them. And I allow others to understand those boundaries and make them respect those boundaries as well. This is pretty simple. How you allow people to treat you is how they're going to treat you. And, you know, this, um, this doesn't mean you have to be self-righteous. It doesn't mean that you have to be an asshole to people. It doesn't mean that you have to be a dick. But you should be very clear on what you're willing to take and what you're not. And this can be especially difficult with those who are one, seen as authorities over you, or two, seen as uh, potentially competitors in your career or even in your, or in your personal romantic relationships, boundaries. And sometimes it just comes down to recognizing your worth. You know, the amount that you give to others, the amount that you are helping of others, the amount that you, uh, of energy that you put out for others for the ones that you deal with on a regular basis should be returned to you. And when it's not being returned to you through the actions and words of others, and they're crossing your boundaries by constantly taking more than they're giving, talking about you behind your back, not generally treating you well, those should be addressed. 
And when they're not, when you're, when you're not dealt with well, you should let those people know and set a clear expectation or distance yourself. You know, it could be something simple like, um, for instance, I had a, an issue with a, with a business partner a few years ago and it was, he's basically a vendor that I'd hired and I had hired him to do a certain number of videos uh, that we were producing together. There were some videos left to be slated to be done. Uh, essentially, he was saying, hey, you haven't, you haven't paid me for these videos yet. And, you know, he was starting to get agitated with me. He was starting to get angry with me. And I said, first of all, the videos that we discussed aren't even completed, you know. So we, hadn't even, we haven't even really gotten to the completion stage. You know, second of all, you've taken forever to produce this stuff. This is marketing material. So the longer that you take, the more the opportunity is missed on the, the purpose of this production. And third, you know, let's not forget everything I've already done for you. I've paid you tens of thousands of dollars, you know, bought you plane tickets around the world for things that we shot. And so I personally don't want to hear your lip. <laughs> I don't want to hear your mouth, you know, because he was getting kind of indignant about where's my money? Where's my money for, for a, a project that he hadn't completed yet? And although that might seem like something small, it's just an example of not allowing yourself to be walked on, not allowing your people to put you in a pressure situation where they feel like they can be overly aggressive with you when, in fact, you have also been giving, being a source of energy. You know, that's just one example. Boundaries could be in your romantic relationships when people are going to disrespect you, lie to you, cheat on you, uh, or just do things that don't that you just don't like over and over again. Even in, even in friendships, if you ask someone to to show up on time because you have an event or a party or something that's important to you and they're constantly and consistently late, call them out and say, hey, listen, this is not cool for me. This is what I expect of you. You know, if you can't do that, then let me know or don't commit. Same thing with clients, with the way that you treat your clients and the way that they treat you. If you have clients who are not showing up to calls that they're scheduled to, to be on, if they're not delivering uh, their end of the bargain in terms of things that you need from them to, to do your work, if they're not paying you in a timely manner or in the agreed upon amount, you got to say, listen, this is what we agreed to. We're here because we want to accomplish something together and I can't do this alone. If you're not willing to do this, then you shouldn't have agreed to it. But as it stands, this is the agreement that we have. And I expect you to honor that, you know, and that is what it means to respect your boundaries and to set clear boundaries for how you're willing to be treated. So that's number seven, set clear boundaries for how I'm willing to be treated and respect them. So rounding the drain here, number eight, become aware of my own patterns and break the loop. This is another principle that's very important. You know, I, uh, one of my big patterns is I smoke too much weed. I smoke too much and I, too much is relative. You know, I have learned that I don't have a very good moderation switch. Uh, I am either all on or all off. And I used to be a, an editor for the cannabis column for a major newspaper and they gave me so much free weed. It was a great time. And I love, I love cannabis. I love marijuana. It's one of my favorite plants. But for me, if I'm smoking, I'm usually going to be smoking all day. Uh, I don't really have an off switch with it because I enjoy it. But then what happens is I get into a loop where I have to smoke even more to get the same effect. And then I start to just feel bad because it's just too much. Just talking marijuana specifically, I feel that overuse of it, which strands nowadays are very potent, and overuse of it really starts to bog down your mental and emotional energy. 
um, because it's a depressant. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It won't make you depressed necessarily, but it is a lower frequency, lower vibration plant. So if you're stressed out and you have a nice indica, it can be actually a very good thing, can help you to sleep. But as a dependence over time, it creates for me an unhealthy pattern. And I have to become aware of my addictions and patterns and break those loops. And sometimes it can be very hard because your patterns and your your addictions and your loops are in some ways serving you. And so you have to identify where they're serving you or why you think that they're serving you. And you have to be able to cut that off at the head and say, listen, I don't have a good switch on or off switch for this. So I'm going to have to either learn moderation or not even attempt it because I have to recognize this pattern and realize who I am. And it can be with money that happens too. You know, the ways that you spend, the, the way that you, you organize your finances, you could be stuck in a destructive loop. Same thing with the relationships, the patterns you have in relationships, the people that you, that you date over and over again. If it's the same person showing up in different bodies and different faces, there's a loop there. There's a pattern. Can you become aware of those patterns and break them? Can you become aware of those loops and break them? Because if you're in a loop that is destructive, then you have to get out of that loop before you can progress past it. It's like being in, stuck in a traffic circle. You ever seen those traffic circles where it just spins around and around and around? You want to get out of that to move to the next stage in your life. So be aware of my own patterns and break the loop. That's my principle number eight. Principle number nine. I don't say something about a person behind their back that I wouldn't say to their face. This is a pretty important one. And this is actually what I think is very relevant of observing people's character. If you're hanging out with people who are constantly shit-talking others, guaranteed they're shit-talking you. And, um, you know, that's, that's just the way that human nature goes. You know, we're not, we're not exclusionary for, you know, for those types of things. The, the, the internet entrepreneur space is interesting because there's a lot of people in the space that I just, eh, I'm not really a fan of, you know, to be quite honest, not really a fan of. And so my approach to this is if I don't really like somebody, unless I'm willing to actually talk to them about that, about why I don't like them to their, their face, then I'm not going to include that in conversations with other people because I don't want to give a signal that I'm a type of person who will, who will talk about others behind their back because that is an indicator of a distrustful person. And furthermore, in relationships, oftentimes we're tempted to take our problems with others and, and, and give them to a third party and never actually resolve the problem with the primary person. And this is another way of deflection and avoidance. If you never actually resolve a problem that you have with somebody, but you're talking about it to the whole town, then the person who you actually have a problem with often gets a distorted version of that issue, or they just feel resentment and anger when they hear you talking because this isn't something that you came to them directly about. And it creates bad blood. It creates bad energy. And I don't like to hear it, so I don't like to listen to it. So I don't like to do it. Does it mean that I've never done it before? Absolutely not. But does it mean I'm mindful of it as a principle and do my best not to do it? Absolutely. So I don't say something about a person behind their back that I wouldn't say to their face. Principle number 10, life happens now. Be proactive, not reactive. Obviously, we're going to react to details and in, in, in data that we get in, a la Dalio. But oftentimes, we know what we should be doing. And we're not proactive. And we wait till we're in a bad position in order to react. This is a very jujitsu concept as well. If you are setting the plays in motion, 
You want to be proactive, thinking three and four moves ahead about what someone will do, and then the move after that, after that, after that, chaining things together, which I'm still learning how to do even better. When you're reactive, you're constantly at the whim of someone else because they're setting the pace. They're setting the tone for the fight. And it's the same in life. If you're proactive in things, you have a much better shot at setting the pace for how you want things and and relationships and conversations and outcomes to go because you are creating the input rather than just trying to make the best out of whatever output you're receiving. And life happens now. So the longer you wait to do something, the smaller your advantage gets, the slighter your advantage becomes because you're not being proactive, you're being reactive. Sometimes reaction is necessary because you're going to get input and data no matter what. But the question is, how often are you choosing to be reactive when you know that there, was pro- there are proactively things you could be doing? For instance, if you talk about money, you know, like uh, one of my things I used to do, which I, I no longer do, is I would just be very resistant about paying traffic tickets, you know, because I personally get indignant about them. I think you know, like, a, like a parking ticket, for instance, you know, there's so especially in Beaverton, man, where I live, you know, you can get these these red light tickets where if you turn on a red light, you can turn right on a red light. But if you don't stop completely and you have a rolling stop you will get a $264 ticket, which I think is absolutely aggressive and abrasive. It's actually kind of disgusting if you think about it. They're making so much money off people. And earlier in my, in my, in my early 20s, I would get tickets sometimes and I would say, man, fuck this. Like, this is ridiculous. I'm not paying this. And I carried that mentality on for a while until one day my car got towed. <laughs> and it's very obvious to hear it, right? Oh, well, of course, that's what's going to happen. But then I had to be, rather than proactive, reactive. I had to go down to the DMV. I had to pay the ticket. I had to go down to the, the tow shop and get the car. And what ended up happening was I, I paid the ticket. And as I was driving to pay the ticket in the Uber, I attempted to pay it online. It was an expensive ticket. It was like, because it was towed, it was like three or three or four grand or something because they had to assess the tow and all this crap. It was very expensive. And so I went to go pay it online on the way there. I thought, I'll just skip the line at the DMV. I'll pay online. And I'll I'll go from there. I paid online. I got to the I got to the DMV. I finally got up because I still had to wait in line, but I'd already been paid, so I thought it would be easy to take care of. They said, Oh, well, the online processing takes forever. And we don't actually we haven't actually received confirmation that you've paid. So you have to pay again here to get your car back. So I had to pay six grand to get my car back. And then I said, Well, just mail a receipt in or mail this form in to the, our office in San Diego and we'll refund you your money. And of course, they never refunded me my money. And I could have, uh, I could have called them and yelled and complained, and they never answered the phone. I mean, it's it's a clusterfuck. It's designed because they said, "Oh, well, we can't give refunds here at the DMV. We don't give refunds. We only take money. We don't give refunds." You could make the argument that you could continue continue calling them and pestering them, but the point is, by not paying a simple parking ticket or a few parking tickets, really in LA. Which, by the way, if you've ever lived in LA, you know it's not hard to get parking tickets. They are. It's very predatory. They have all these crazy rules of. No parking on this side of the street Wednesdays from 5 to 11 and on Tuesdays it switches and it's from 7 to 9. And they do this because of, you know, street cleaning supposedly, but they're really doing it as part of, partly a way to create revenue because it's very hard to park. There's more people than there are spaces to live and they're doing it to create uh, to create money for the city. So that's that's the main reason. It's all driven by capitalism. I mean, that's that's what it's about. So it's designed to take your money and it pisses me off. And so I said, fuck you, I'm not going to pay, you know, but that's obviously not a good decision. And it would be proactive to solve that problem and easily pay whatever the ticket price is, 100 bucks, 150 bucks. It sucks, 
Maybe sometimes it's like 50 bucks, then you wait, and then it's 80, then you wait again, and it's 85, 100, 200. Having to go down to the DMV, having to get having that basically that money stolen from me, having to do all this extra crap, getting my car towed, all this extra crap would have been prevented by just being proactive and not reactive. And reactively, yeah, I solved the problem, but I created a much bigger problem by not being proactive. So big principle. And finally, my friends, principle number 11, embrace discomfort by taking a stand for myself, even when I'm in the minority. And this is hard. This can be very hard because the overwhelming majority will sometimes convince you that you're wrong. They've done studies where they talk about mob mentality, groupthink, and oftentimes they have these uh, these examples, these um, experiments where they say, which which stick is the larger stick? Which box is the bigger box? The group will clearly pick the wrong answer and it persuades you to think that you're wrong. So they'll they'll rig a they'll rig an experiment where they'll have a group of five people with one person who doesn't know that this is a an experiment. And those five people will be uh, will be set up in advance to pick the wrong answer. And because five people agree with the wrong answer, the sixth person who's unaware, even if they weren't really sure, if they actually maybe had guessed the right answer originally, will be convinced by the group think that they're wrong because they're in the minority. And they think, well, group must be right. Think about uh, who wants to be a millionaire. Phone a friend or better yet, ask the audience this is the best example of this. Well, whatever the audience says must be right. And honestly, on that show, usually it is right. But that's certainly not always the case. And sometimes you have to stand in your own truth, even if what you like isn't the popular opinion. Many things in life aren't facts. And so you have to be able to embrace the discomfort of taking a stand for yourself, even if you are one of the few who believe something. Jesus didn't, didn't Jesus literally die for this concept? And you have to be able to take your own, your own stand for yourself, for the way that you want to be treated, for the career and the path that you want in life. A lot of uh, people that I know, especially one who wants to go into entrepreneurship, their parents and their family don't approve. They're in the minority in their family and they push through it anyway because they're willing to embrace the discomfort and make a stand for themselves. And it's hard when you're a minority. So these are my principles. These are my 11 principles of life. I hope that you got some value from them. I hope that they benefited you. And I would encourage you again, like I said, to take a minimum of 20 or 30 minutes tonight with your own principles to write them down. And to not just think about them philosophically, but to truly live by them. And I review these principles fairly frequently. And I'd say that I'm, I'm in alignment with them. I'm not perfect, but I'm in alignment. And I want you to find the principles that are right for you. They don't have to be my principles. You can use some of mine as a base if they sound attractive to you. But I'd certainly like you to make your own. And from there, develop yourself into the person that you want to be. The man or the woman that you want to be. And that's how we truly become evolved. And that's really the, what the new wave is about. So, my friends, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you liked today's episode, please do me the honor and the pleasure of leaving a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. And if you haven't already, please go to newwaveentrepreneur.com and see everything I have cooking for you, including my Substack, which is the first link on that site. And you'll, take, you'll be taken to the Substack, which is essentially my blog. All of the content that's on this podcast will be housed on that blog for you to listen to and go back to and refer to later. And if you become a premium member of the Substack, we're releasing new courses on crypto, philosophy, psychedelics, psychology, whole bunch of programming. I'm putting together a merch drop that only members are going to get, only premium members will get, community discord, behind the scenes podcast that won't be 
uh, listed on the public domains, you know, or we'll put small snippets of them, but not the whole thing. So there's going to be a ton of in-depth content for you to learn and grow as part of this new wave. So jump on in, guys. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Get you on the next one. Peace. Peace.